Well, good morning. Today on uh, A Safe Distance Away is uh, Bill Wilson. He's uh, a well-known medic, well-known within the military overall. Uh, he's been to tours of Somalia, uh, Rwanda, Bosnia, a uh, six-month tour around, uh, around Africa on board a ship, and uh, one or two tours of uh, Afghanistan, Bill. Yeah, just one tour, 2002, the first one. Right, so... Uh, We'll do the do this a little bit differently, as I was saying. Um, and might as well get right into it. We're not going to give you any intro music or anything today. <laughs> there you go. So, anybody wants intro music, they can just hum to themselves. Yeah. All right. So, uh, when 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 and why did you join the military? Uh, well, uh, I joined the military in uh, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, kind of weird, I guess. I had a uh, I was a kind of a late bloomer. I think I was uh, twenty one. Uh, I grew up on a farm in southwestern Ontario. wasn't much of a farmer myself. My dad was a farmer. Um, what kind of farming did you do? Uh, it was uh, cash crops like uh, corn and uh, soybeans, wheat. Uh, my dad was a uh, he was more or less a general manager for another guy who owned most of the land, and my dad and a few other guys just kind of ran it. But I guess my dad was the right hand man. All right, so you weren't much of a farmer or didn't see farming as your future, I guess. Yeah, so he, find, he told me to go find something else to do. So <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I wasn't sure after high school, really. I took some of those, you know, those um, tests you can take at, at the guidance council to try to figure out, you know, where you're, where you're going and where you're headed. And uh, I, first of all, landed on a youth program called Katimovic, uh, where it's uh, nine months um, you spend... Uh, uh, three months um, uh, in different locations, and you rotate around. The first three months were in Regina. I worked as an accounting clerk. I, I lived with uh, 11 other people between the ages of 17 and 21 from across the country. Four of them were francophones. Yeah, um, I, I'd considered Katimovic at one time as well. What what year was that? Uh, 85, 86. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, after I left Regina, we went to uh, a place called Cheneville, Quebec, where we worked on a, it was over the wintertime, where we worked on uh, um, helping out um, do some rebuild on a summer camp for kids. And I actually spent um, most of my time just cross-country skiing uh, and maintaining cross-country ski trails. And then, uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, I, you know, I kind of threw my, you know, I don't know how to say. I kind of decided to take take a weird route, and maybe had a um, a military option uh, out in Esquimalt, um, where you become like a reservist, but you spend three months almost doing basic training. Was that kind of like the YTAP pro- program? Uh, I don't know if it's. I didn't. I, I I've heard from people who run the YTAP program. I don't, I'm not sure if it was a similar program or not. Um, I met up with a couple of people. Didn't really discuss it that much, but um, basically, we were <clears throat> they lumped our group in with uh, six other groups, and um, you know, we learned inspections, marching, you know, firing a weapon. Obviously, not as drastic as Cornwallis was when I got there. Right. Um, what, but, year you know, you, what year did you do Cornwallis? It, sorry. What year did you do Cornwallis? Uh, Eighty-eight. Um, so, but, you know, we got to spend a week at sea on the MCDVs, uh, and then, you know, MCDVs, a week in the field. Just for those that don't know, MCDVs are the mine clearing, clearing, uh, vessels. Yeah. They're, um, uh, multi-coast, 
something uh i don't know something like I just delivery know the vehicle or something yeah anyways uh and then i wasn't still wasn't sure uh, you know after that i left esquimalt got on a crazy bus ride from victoria to, made it as far as sudbury before i decided to jump off and fly home <laughs> to windsor and uh um yeah, i got home and you know of course my dad was what are you gonna do now you'd see to go to school or or work um you know i had a cousin in north bay who offered me a room and i got accepted to college up there so i decided to you know, go, uh, I guess I, you know, surfing, grasping for something, but I ended up doing business for a year and decided at the end of it, it wasn't really for me. And actually my recruiting process started up in North Bay until they sent my file to Windsor. And I decided, you know, after my Katuvik experience, well, maybe I'll give the military go. And, and that's kind of the long way around how I ended up in the military. And did you end up, uh, did you want to join as a medic or what happened? That's funny. I, actually, I remember I was in, I remember being at the recruiting center, and a guy asked me, "You know, what do you, what do you want?" And I said, "Well, I don't said I I I was looking around at all the uniforms, and you know, of course, my favorite color is blue. So I said, well, I want to wear blue, and I want to do something to help people.' And uh, sure enough, here I am an Air Force Air Force medic. That's a hell of a way to choose your future. It's by uh, your favorite color. Yeah, that's right. There you go. And it's, interestingly enough, I, I ended up my first posting and my last posting were on, on Air Force bases, right. uh, where I spent a combined total of four years and the rest was all Army and Navy. Well, how long did you spend in Petawawa? Uh, I went to Cold Lake on my first posting and then in 92 got posted to Petawawa and stayed there till 99 and then ended up in uh, uh, Winnipeg, right. uh, 2PPCLI, uh, Charlie Company. I spent another couple of years while I was in Petawawa. I spent, um, oh God, how many years? I think three years at Field M and four years at, uh, or four years at Field M and three years at Field Hospital. Decided to join kind of on a whim. You had nothing else to do, kind of thing, right? Yeah, no, I was kind of grasping. I really had no idea coming out of high school where, you know, where I was going. I knew my parents were blue collar workers and I knew, you know, what the cost of college was. You know, I, I did end up with a little bit of a, uh, of a loan to pay back to the government after that one year. But um, luckily, I, I guess I'd like to think I saw the light and uh, decided I maybe should just, you know, have somebody else pay for my education while I see a bit of the world and, you know, um, collect a pension or start working on the pension along the way. My, my story is a little bit different there. I was working a rig up in northern Alberta, service rig, not oh, a yeah? rig. And uh, my tool push, his name was Oli, he's about 50 years old. And it was wet and cold, fucking miserable out there. And we're spinning, spinning sucker rod in. And we had a break and he looks at me and says, you really want to be doing this? And I said, no, not really. I mean, the money's pretty good. Well, I said, do you really want to be doing this when you're 50 years old? I said, no, yeah. fuck, I don't. I'm thinking I'll be wet, cold, and miserable. So yeah, what I did was I said, fuck, I'll join the military. That's what I'll do. Well, I was wet, cold, and go. miserable for a whole lot less money. So <laughs> yeah, I wasn't the brightest one out there either, apparently. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, job security was a big thing that was, you know, pulling me, you know, there as well. I think I just had itchy feet, you know, I wanted to get out, like you said, see a little bit of the world maybe and do something exciting. Yeah, oh, for sure. I, I, you know, I got more than I bargained for. 
Uh, I don't regret any of it. <laughs> would you do it all again? I would. So, yeah. what you you went over to uh, what was your first tour? Somalia, I guess, eh? Somalia, yeah. And you deployed with who? Uh, Canadian Airborne Regiment. Okay, so you're augmented to the Canadian Airborne Regiment. You remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you work for a specific commando, or were you just sort of a rotating guy? Oh, we were a service commando. Okay. And yeah. uh, how did you find that experience? Uh, you know, first tour, um, you know, my interesting, I, I, I like to call it the, the tour of emotions, I guess. There was a lot of things going on. Uh, I left my then wife, uh, who was pregnant. Um, so I had a, you know, a pregnant wife at home. Um, luckily, we went with some, you know, great people. Um, can't say much for the leadership of the Airborne Regiment at the time, um, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, we learned a lot, you know. I mean, even, even you know, I've talked to people who were uh, in Afghanistan that were on that tour to Somalia, and a lot of people say that the tour to Somalia was, you know, much harder than the one. And maybe that's just because it's your first tour and you're learning from it, obviously. Well, it was very austere conditions. We hadn't deployed on a major operation in quite some time. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, we spent the first couple of weeks there um, with no water. You know, here's your three or four. I mean, no waters, no showers, no place to wash your stuff. So here's your three to four liters of water a day. You know, make do with washing yourself and, you know, washing your clothes until we can get everything set up. I, I think uh, our, uh, you know, we got there maybe January 2nd and the, you know, the whole medical facility supplies didn't arrive till January 11th. Um, I remember that specifically. So you had, um, you had what was in your med bag and that was it. That was it. Yeah. Uh, I did deploy with the commandos though. Like when I mainly with one commando though, when um, some of the guys were on R and R or on HLPA, then I would, I would uh, patrol with the commandos. Do you night. do you speak French? What's that? Do you no, speak French? Well, I guess they I guess the guys well. did they. They did treat. They did treat me well. Good. Yeah. I guess. I guess if you're bleeding, it doesn't matter what language you you speak as no. long as uh, you're helping buddy out. No. Yeah, there was some interesting, uh, especially at night, uh, patrolling the town. Uh, I remember this guy. This guy came out and asked us if we wanted to buy his sister. <laughs> um, 500 American dollars by my sister. Um, how, how old was his sister? Did he introduce his I, sister? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting to just, you know, I think it's a bit of a culture shock where you know, there's some hard standing buildings and you see the, the husband sleeping inside the building with the animals that the, the wife and kids were out under a tree in the front yard. Guarding um, what's, you know, different perception. Um, you know, and, and, you know, during that tour, I was involved in some stuff. I mean, I was there with uh, Francois Cameron when they brought, the, you know, the beaten uh, dead body of Shadane Ronin. Yeah. Uh, and then... Um, you you were working you know, in the uh, MIR at that time? Yeah, I was working. At, yeah, we were, I, we were we were in the hospital okay. proper. Yeah, we had a little recess room where they dropped the body off. Um. And then, uh, you know, we were... What, you know, what, what was your understanding of what was going on at that time? Like what's when that? They, what was your understanding of what happened uh, when the body came in of Shadane Aron? You know, it's funny. I, you know, first, I mean, he was all wet, eh? So I realized, I mean, the question we had was, I mean, did you fish this guy out of the water? And 
why did he turn up here? But the guys who dropped him off, they said nothing. They just dropped the body off and they left. They gave us no indication of what had happened. Didn't um, identify themselves? What's that? They didn't identify themselves? No. Jesus. No. Uh, not that I rec- I can recall anyways. I don't recall any of that. I mean, uh, at that time, our, you know, Frank and my, we had our stethoscope trying to, you know, out trying to hear a heart rate and or feel a pulse. And, you know, it was a no-go. Um, uh, were you guys doing CPR on them or anything? When did the medical team show up? Or were you the medical team? We were the medical team. We, I mean, we were, and then I went and woke up, uh, I think Ashman, Tom and Ashman. then the sergeant major, and then somebody went over and got the doc, uh, I think uh, Doc Gibson, um, and then we kind of realized, uh, yeah, no, his vital signs were pretty absent, you know, we pretty well knew. Yeah. Um, did, did you I run s- a code on the guy? What's that? Did you guys run a code on him? No, we didn't run a code on him. There was just no no point in it? Yeah. So, so uh, why was he all wet? Were they trying to revive him with water or something, or did you ever find that out? Well, I think uh, after the fact, we figured out that, you know, after they were beating him for a while and he passed out, they were just, you know, reviving him with water, trying to get him. To come back around. Yeah. So what what, what, what happened on immediately after? I mean, you guys reported to the sergeant major, uh, which is probably as far up as you needed to go, other than getting the doctor in. But uh, what, what, what were the immediate actions afterwards? Like you received the, the, the body... Uh, were the MPs called or? Yeah, I just remember, you know, I, I remember them taking the body away and where they took the body away, I don't remember. I remember, you know, it's now, you know, probably two, three o'clock in the morning local time. And, you know, myself and whoever, you know, was there, um, our, you know, our supervisors told us to sit down and write out what happened. And at you know, this this point, you'd been what in the military for three, four years. What's that? Sorry. The, at this point in time in your career, you'd been in the military what three or four years. Yeah. So this yeah, is this is all. Yeah, five years, maybe. Yeah, five years. So it's a little. It's did you find it overwhelming, or were you just sort of going through the motions, doing what you needed to do, and uh, um, everything worked smoothly for you? I didn't really find it overwhelming. I guess just you know doing what you needed to do. Yeah. You know, are you talking about that night or are you talking about the whole deployment? No, that, that night specifically like, um, yeah, I guess, you know, we look to our leadership, you know, and, and, uh, you know, what's the next move? You know, we go through the motions and, you know, try to go through your head exactly, you know, what you saw and what you heard, um, you know, what the body looked like and record everything possibly yeah um and go from there and so so the the leadership told you to write down a statement and do you know whatever became of your statements afterwards because i i was a duty uh corporal for the one of the court marshals for major c oh yeah and uh that was it was all very eye-opening and uh interesting but uh Mm -hmm. were you ever you weren't ever a witness or anything at any of the uh, court marshals no no i wasn't uh i didn't get called um I remember uh, going to Ottawa, though, after the fact, uh, during the Somalia inquiry, uh, and had to give a statement um, about things that had occurred there. But I never formally called. I think the the inquiry got shut down before Before I could could. physically 
you know, take a stand. Yeah. In retrospect, uh, do you look back at it and go, well, that was a convenient uh, time to shut the inquiry down? Do Sorry, remember, say that again? Do you remember your thoughts on when they uh, shut the inquiry, inquiry down? Did you think, well, that's rather convenient or that's a shitty time to be calling it off? Yeah, I, I you know, it's, it seemed like it was I- inconclusive, you know, quick way to just kind of, you know, slide it under the under the mat. I think those of us that were, you know, in Petawawa during that time, I think, you know, it was just Somalia was a bad thing and nobody talked about it. Yeah, well, you know, and, I, I was part of the airborne regiment at the a, time. The brunt of, of, uh, you know, I'm sure that financially, you know, the, the I don't, I don't think uh, the, the government was putting a lot of money into the military at that time. <laughs> no, I mean, we were getting bare bones. The military has always been an easy target for the government to, uh, you oh, know, slash sure. and burn because, yeah. at, I mean, up until quite recently, you didn't get a whole lot of support from the. Uh, yeah, the no. Actually, public. you know, I was really looking forward to Rwanda because I was like, I want to get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, it's unfortunately at the time, Somalia left the, just a bad taste. And, you know, I'm sure not just for me, but other people and, oh, hundreds, you know, thousands. get, get, you know, back up on the horse and, and get going on a, on a, on another deployment was really kind of where I was at. It's funny when I, when I, when I look, when I look forward, look, you know, Look back and my even my tour in Afghanistan, you know, after the friendly fire, you know, a couple of days, you said, okay, we're launching on a new mission. I think we're all like, yeah, let's go. Like, yeah. you know, let's, you know, put the death of, you know, four guys that, you know, we had lunch and supper with and, you know, good camaraderie there with, um, you know, on the back burner for now. Exactly. Just, let's go do our job. Not, not to beat on Somalia, but uh, did you feel a sense of uh, accomplishment when the job was over? Or did you sort of just... Say fucking yeah, yeah, I guess you know, in a professional, personal level, you know, my first deployment, you look and just just kind of reflect on your own performance, um, your own, you know, how you did overseas. I mean, I I was probably one of the younger corporals of the group, so I wasn't looking to get promoted or anything like that. I was just more for more personal gain, and in, in a big way, you, you, I think you get a good understanding of you know. What you can take, you know. Yeah, from a stress what, and hardship what level. Hardships, yeah, what hardships are you willing to, you know, go through? You know, I know somebody, somebody in our tent went through a little bit of a issue, you know, with little, little, little bit of crotch rotten, you know, <laughs> give up underwear for the rest of the tour, but um, you managed to make it through. Um, That's you good. Know, camel spiders, uh, scorpions, snakes. Um, checking your boots every morning, uh, wiping the dust from the, the desert, uh, the lay the coat of dust on your the heat your, in the porta potties, the heat, uh, the uh, um, sleeping under your bug net, you know all that. You yeah. know what, what can you you know, even the walk from the shower, you know by the time you eat your tent lines, you're just you're still covered in a layer of dust, dust. and sweat. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think on that way, and you know, on a, you know, what 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 do you what do you what do you physically and mentally, and psychologically can withstand? I think you know, I think a lot of us came out of that deployment, you know, rediscovering ourselves, I guess, and understanding, okay, yeah, I can I can do that, I can do that, I'm, I'm fit to do this. This is this is where I belong. So so, 
you, you get the sense of accomplishment. Um, to take you back to the beginning when you uh, enrolled, uh, did you enroll for any idealistic reasons or, or you just wanted a job? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess everybody joins the military for a certain reason. You know, at the time, I, was, I guess I was looking for a job and I was looking for a career. I, I thought if I liked it, I would stay. But I think, you know, after my first deployment, I thought, yes, this is where I'm meant to be. But I, I, I specifically remember, you know, it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that. I was thinking about that the other day when I was in Cornwallis. I remember um, I failed in an inspection you know, because I was rather a newbie and didn't really, you know, understand a lot. And my bunk it was a bit of a, um, a bit of a dirt bag and didn't really help me <laughs> out. But uh, I remember my uh, master corporal turning to me and saying, "You know, Private Wilson, he says, I'm not sure what kind of a soldier you're going to make, but I'm pretty sure you're going to make a pretty good medic." So, you know, nice. I think there's things like that along the, you know, along the road that kind of boost you and and keep you going. And I've certainly had. Um, my share of really good mentors along the way that I, you know, people that are just helped me out, and, you know. Yeah, I can think of a me. few guys along the way too that, you know, yeah. kept me out of shit and pointed me in the right direction. Um, yeah, I, I think for for me, I didn't join for idealistic reasons. I joined, I guess for somewhat I did. I remember the Americans at the time were, were uh, cruising around in the Arctic with their submarines under our ice. And I remember thinking, fuck. They shouldn't be doing that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we should have some say in it, and not that our military would have had some say in it. But what do I know, right? Um, did yeah. you have Did you have anybody uh, in your in your family that had a pa- past military background? No, I mean, I had a uh, I had a I had an uncle, but he lived like way up north. That um, I knew he did some time in the service, like earlier, but we weren't really close. So I I yeah, I really had nobody that uh, you know could pass on any you know, sound uh, advice about what I was getting into. I mean, Katimura gave me a little bit of, you know, touch of, okay, this is, you know, where am I going to go from here? Right. Um, you know, a little bit of an insight. Um, but, yeah, even on my fives, I remember sitting down with that. Uh, we were out in the field in Mass Corporal, and we were uh, one of our instructors, and we were just kind of what if and, you know, what would you do in, in this situation and what would you do in this situation, which I've really taken to heart. And, you know, I, 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 I do the same thing now, and I did the same thing, you know, with um, juniors along the way or people that I've tried to mentor. Um, you know, I got through a session with him, and he just turned to me and said, welcome to the family. He said, I think you're going to do okay. So Outstanding. Um, I mean, yeah. you, you often don't get that kind of feedback. And uh, yeah. so what, what was his name? And do you remember his trade? What, the name of the Mass Corporal? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Mass Corporal Bergeron. Bergeron. The French guy. Okay. Yeah, Bergeron. So you've, uh, you've made it through Somalia. You've picked up some valuable lessons on soldiering, uh, how to, how to you know, make yourself comfortable in the field. Um, mm-hmm. You realize that you can, you can deal with... Uh, a fair bit of stress when the military throws it at you. So about what, just over a year later, you find yourself in Rwanda. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny how that happened too. my, 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 my roommate at the time, uh, my, no, my roommate in cold Lake actually got posted to Padawawa, Dave Follett. Uh, and, uh, actually Sergeant major had gone to him first and said, you, you know, there's a deployment. And this was before a field am got stood up. Yeah. And, uh, Dave turned it down. It's strange because then Dave ended up in Rwanda anyways with field Am, but he turned down the six-month deployment, and then I found myself uh, 
you know, as normal in the military, when the sergeant major comes up to you on Wednesday and says you're supposed to, you were supposed to be uh, in Kingston on Monday, I'm like, well, yeah, okay. So, you know, here I am in a truck down to Kingston for three days of training. Um, pretty much three days of training and then, you know, told to go home. We'll call you in two weeks and tell you when you're going to fly. I, I think um, those are the best uh, type of notices for deployment. You go, uh, I literally had one where you got four days to get your shit together and uh, head out the door. Yeah. And there's yeah. no worries. <laughs> you pack your stuff and you're gone. Yeah, that's the same with Afghanistan. Only had 10 days. You know, I got a call from the major and he says, uh, Bill, uh, I need you to be, I need you to go to Afghanistan. And I need you to be there in 10 days. I'm like, well, okay. Well, yeah, sure. Why not? All right. I, and uh, can't turn you down. And the one thing I do remember clearly about you is you're very calm kind of, when you mentioned mentors, I think you, you'd probably make a, or you were a good mentor. Um, I think I only saw you flustered once and I can't, can't remember what it was about. Um, but you sort of, you said fuck and you sort of stepped back and, and you didn't swear much. So, uh, um, no, not at that time. No, uh, well, rarely now, but occasionally. <laughs> well, you rarely did Behind it back my then. Mask. And, I, and I looked at you and you were, you could see the gears grinding and you said, all right, let's just fix this. <laughs> and whatever yeah. it was, it got sorted out. But I've ne I never saw you flustered at all. No, I, and I don't really know where that comes from. And I'm still, I don't know, I've been told the same thing now, I guess, you know, even, you know, fairly even keel, but I'm sure inside. Um, the voices are screaming at each other. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it took me about a year to get really comfortable on a ship, you know, and I did a lot of what ifing. Um, you know, you don't know when you're in the middle of the Atlantic when something's going to come, you know, through the door, whether it's a chest pain or, you yeah. know, some major wound that you have to try to sort out. And, and then when you're, when you're the fleet guy, because when you're on deployment, you know, you know, now you're looking after, you know, all, everybody on, you know, not just your ship, but, you know, um, three or four ships uh, over a 24 hour period. Yeah. That gets a little stressful too, but. Well, let's get back to Rwanda before we uh, sure. go to sea. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so you had short notice to go to Rwanda. You did three days training, you say. Yeah. Um, and then you were what, flown into Kigali or. Yeah, flown into Kigali. It's funny. I I remember the I remember the, the the pickup. You know, we got on the back of an HLVW and we're driving to the um, um, the stadium, uh, Mhoro Stadium, and it's just you know it's one of those things where the smells of Africa yeah just bring bring you right back. And I remember landing. I remember getting in the first day, and and I, oh god, I remember these few med taxi and just returned from an orphanage where everybody had just kind of abandoned and left these babies uh, crying, you know, in their own feces and vomit. Uh, and just, uh, you know, the stories that they were describing, like, Oh my God, what did I get myself into? Um, but, you know, we had a great crew, um, you know, Gary Q is our sergeant and, uh, you know, I was there with um, Greg McDonald and Mike Crow. And uh, we were the, the three augmentee corporals um, to go with the uh, the signals um, regiment UMS, um, and we were busy. We we didn't stop. I mean, I spent a lot of time driving the roads, driving an ambulance around uh, Kigali from our place to the um, Australians because they had, you know, they had brought a surgeon. They brought the surgical team. They had X-ray. Uh, we had a lab tech. Um, 
Um, but other than that, we had the, the crew, maybe a couple of nurses, two physicians with us. Uh, so we were either working in the UMS or we were out. Um, and what what were you doing when you were out? What kind of what kind of situation? Uh, you uh, various stuff. We would go to a place called Kambongo and work with the International Medical Corps and helping them because they had, you know, they had they were running a, like a mini hospital there. And they were, were they a, a non government organization or NGO or yeah. organization? Yeah, they were an NGO, and and they were okay <coughs> with working with you guys. What's that? They were okay with working with you guys. Yeah, yeah, they they seemed to be okay with it. Um, we did a lot of uh, dressings on people who, unfortunately, were machete wounds. Um, it's interesting to walk into a ward where everybody's got stumps, and you know, I remember working on this guy on his head. He just had these two almost like slashed, you know, like train tracks on his on his forehead from you know machete wounds, and just you know, we were just massaging the. The pus at them because they're you know very infected. Um, I, I don't remember that specifically. Um, I did. Uh, we did add an exchange program set up, so I was able to spend a week with the Australians and some time on their, on their um, trauma team. Yeah, uh, I did that for about forty-eight hours and spent a week with those guys. Was that it was um, an interesting experience? They treated you pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they they treated me well. You know, the the unfortunate thing about the Australian military, unlike the Canadian military, they don't really bring the people who help you get comfortable, like carpenters and plumbers. Oh no, they do it themselves. Good, good guys, you know. So you know, they really, you know, we're kind of bare bones. Uh, even even the meals were a little on the yeah, <laughs> not the not the greatest, you know. But then you know, we but it was better than Somalia. Yeah, we've gone from, you know, six months of eating hard rations in Somalia to fresh fruit in Rwanda, so at where we were at. Yeah. But it was interesting to look down because the Ghanaians, they had brought uh, some troops, especially a band, and you see their military all kind of swarmed around a big pot of whatever it is eating, you know, communal eating out of this big soup pot. It was like, well, okay, well. Chopped up whatever the hell. Yeah. So, yeah, no, and I did a lot of time out uh, in refugee camps. We had a couple, you know, um, um, endeavors out with uh, British and Australians doing uh, immunizations. We did a mass immunization. And um, that was all readily accept, ex- accepted? The people were more than uh, happy to see you guys there? Yeah, yeah, and that's an experience too. When you ride into, you know, ride into a refugee camp where there's like, you know, sixty thousand black, black faces looking at you. You're just like, <laughs> oh my god, where did I, you know? And they've already started to set up towns and little things, and people have little shops, and they're trying to sell. You know, it's interesting little bags of pills. You wonder, you know, what are they? they where did they go or come from? Yeah, yeah. Where did it all? And then towards the end of the deployment, uh, I was a co-driver getting these people relocating these people back from their refugee camps back to their homes in Kigali or surrounding towns. So, Well, when you, you know, when you got there, were, was there the evidence of the genocide? Um, was it uh, quite apparent? Like were, were they still st- stacking bodies and um, trying to clean all that up when you, uh, when you got on the ground? Yeah. I mean, well, I didn't see much of that. Most of the stuff had been cleaned up by the time I got to the stadium. I'd heard, word that there were quite a few bodies laying around the stadium that still had to be cleaned up. So I'm assuming the recce 
uh, teams uh, clean most of that up. You know, I and it's funny. I don't know if I just don't recall it or my mind won't let me recall it. Um, some of the more grotesque stuff. You know, I heard a story from one of the young Australian medics who was up in Kabungo the week before we were there. Who, you know, walked out to you know take a piss from whatever he was doing, and then realized when he looked down that he was standing in somebody's chest cavity. Oh yeah, yeah. That luckily that that you know I didn't have to suffer through anything that, like that. But, did you? Uh, I'm sorry. Did you get a diagnosis of PTSD along the way? I don't recall. What's that? Did you uh, get a diagnosis of PTSD along the way somewhere? I, I don't recall if you did or not. Uh, no, it was until after I. After I got out, but you know, it's funny, I was in Edmonton and after I got home from Afghanistan, you know, things started to, started to unravel a bit, you know, I started to get a little, you know, a little bit of road rage. My girlfriend, now wife at the time, and my, one of my closest friends said, you know, you're not, you seem a little edgy, you know. Um, So I did, I didn't go get checked out and, you know, they, you know, the psychiatrist said, you know, I don't, I don't think so. You might have, you know, you might be going through something. I can't resist, this, but you, you know, they have a, they have a scale to see how right. high functioning that you are. And I think out of a hundred, I was like 98%, you know, so I was still able to function. Um, I think it was, you know. Did you after, ever feel like you weren't able to function? No, no. I never thought I was not. I, 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 you know, it, it was only until 2010 that I got a you know, clear diagnosis of PTSD and they, you know, they told me in London that they, they felt that I probably have had PTSD since 1993. Mm. Um, so I just, I guess learned to adapt, you know, learn to live with it, you know, and, and, you know, 1993, I got, you know, you know, 94, yeah, I got 93. I, you know, have a child that's born and I have another one that's on the way. Yeah. You know, it's my career, you know, I got to, you know, look after my family. So right. What do you just keep going? Yeah. Well, at that time, I mean, I, I don't think anybody really knew anything about PTSD or, I mean, we, we knew about it, obviously the big heads knew about it, but I don't think um, a connection was really made uh, for, for quite some years up the road when, when they realized, Hey, we have a bunch of guys here with PTSD and no way of helping them. Yeah. Or very little resources in the way of helping them, which came came up again later when Afghanistan happened, of course. But oh but yeah, I, I don't want to get sidetracked. Um, just no, but I think you know the expectation is that you know people are gonna you know you have to have some understanding that you are gonna change. It's yeah. gonna change you somewhere, you know, whether it's just the deployment itself or you know living six months in a that communal kind of atmosphere. You rely on the guy in the next you know foxhole. I know we didn't you know. Trench. Yes, every morning we did get into, you know, the first month we did get into a trench in Somalia yeah. uh, at 5 a.m. waiting to see what was going to come over the, come over the hill somewhere, but, but never really happened at all. So, Which was sort of bringing me into my next point about Rwanda. What, what was your, I mean, your takeaway point from uh, Somalia was that you could pretty much handle whatever the, uh, the world was going to throw at you, or the military mm-hmm. at least. Um, what, what, what takeaway lesson did you get from, uh, Rwanda? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we, you know, I just remember the, the, the UN commander coming out and just congratulating us on all the, the work we, we didn't stop, you know, it was, uh, 
you know, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, you know, I look back on that deployment, and I remember after the deployment, I thought, you know what? If I died tomorrow, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I felt like I had done, I'd done some good for my fellow man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I had accomplished. I'd been somewhere that not many people get to go to, and managed to hopefully help a lot of people in some way. Um, and you know, if I kick the bucket, you know. Pardon me, felt good that, you know, this is what I really was meant to do. And you really accomplished something. Meant to be. And, and did you ever, did you ever, through your career, lose that sense of uh, hope? Like that? Did I, that ever lo- do I, did I ever lose it? Yeah. Like, did you always feel that you'd accomplish something or did you sort of say, why am I doing this again? No, no. You know, I, I think I've always been that way, though, Steve. I think you know, even even the shitty times. You know, the the, the as we say, you know, the, the suck times. Yeah. You know, you always gain something from it. I I, I think I'm the kind of person that looks for the positive. <laughs> you and, are you one know. of the most optimistic guys I know. Oh, I am. <laughs> That's I a am. fact. And even today, I tell my patients that I'm a half, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> I, I will always be the optimist, and uh, you know, we're going to try to, you know, you know, even the patients I have. Unfortunately, you know, some have, you know, passed on due to COVID, but, uh, um, you know, I always tell them we're going to, we're going to do our best to get you out of this, you know, yeah. you know, and yeah, you know, of course things go to shit, you know, and, and, you know, I guess you, if you have the, the ability to reflect on it and say, okay, what, what the hell happened, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, if I can just kind of, in Afghanistan, you know, after the friendly fire, I remember Vic Spears and I, we had to wait because it was a live rain, live range, and the range had to be cleared. We had four dead bodies on the ground. Yeah. And, um, you know, Vic and I, you know, back and forth, we we banged it out from, you know, the, from, you know, the time we got to the range to the time that, you know, up until that time, um, what did we do right? What did you, what did you do wrong? And I think that's a, a, a huge huge thing for you know trying to you know your your um, own after action report yeah yeah so what did you what did you decide on your like just to let people know you're talking about the incident at at tarnak farms in afghanistan where the uh the americans uh dropped ordinance on our guys Mm -hmm. and killed four of them and wounded how many guys were wounded i don't recall uh four killed eight wounded right um yeah and they were all from the uh, princess patricia's i recall yeah yeah third battalion and uh, what at the moment that happened what were you doing uh, i was sitting in an ambulance actually i was sitting in my ambulance i was sitting in the front i had just come off r&r actually we were in dubai for three days right uh and i picked up a book actually on on emergency medicine uh while i was there and uh, I was sitting, the OC signaler was sitting next to me. The ambulance actually was parked, you know, obviously, you know, with our, 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 our backs to the range, right. ready to roll out if we needed to. Um, my two junior medics, uh, uh, Jean de la Bordenay and Vic Spears, both corporals at the time, were in the back brewing up some coffee. Um, we're just hanging out, talking to some of the other guys. And that's, you know, and, uh, and the bomb dropped. And uh, what size of bomb was it? Uh, yeah, I don't know, 500, 500 pounds. And it, and it dropped how far away from, from your location? Uh, I'd have to probably say about two or 300 yards or 
about that? Jesus. Yeah, down the range a bit. Yeah, definitely well did. within danger close. Uh, call. Yeah, I mean, it hit the side of the you know a wadi. As you've seen a wadi, there's yeah. those large ditches they have there. It hit the yeah. side of the wadi, kind of in like. So it basically, you know, I think if it would hit on top, if it hit, you know, closer to the other side, but hit on the side and just basically blew down into the wadi. So I think a lot of people, I think if it would blow, if it, if it had detonated on top, I probably would have had more wounded, more yeah. dead. So take, take us through, through that. So the bomb drops, yeah. uh, explodes. Uh, do you realize right away what's happened? Well, yeah, I jump out of the ambulance, and then, of course, you know, it's 1 a.m. local, and all I see is this big, dark, black cloud, and, um, you know, I grab my med bag, and I say to Vic Spears, let's go. Uh, I, I don't know what that is, but just let's go. Let's run towards whatever's happening. <laughs> not really <laughs> no really disregard not knowing if someone was going to drop anything else or whether a weapon had backfired yeah. or, or not really not really knowing a lot, and then... Yeah there was about four guys that had been killed in the area. Um, I think a week or two previously. So, you know, at the Sergeant major, we ran into the Sergeant major and he kind of guided Vic and I, uh, to the scene. And then, you know, before I left though, I told Sean to just to bring the ambulance closer. Yeah. Uh, so then Vic and I started heading and, you know, luckily, um, I think a, a week or two previous to that, um, Jean got his mom to buy us these headlamps from some outfit store in Ottawa. Yeah. So I turned the headlamp on and just started running, but there was a helmet with the scrim was on fire, um, kind of leading us to the way. And of course, there's a lot of uh, shit burning, screaming, a lot yeah. of screaming, a lot of screaming for medics. Yeah. Uh, and then you know we 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 get to. We get to this spot, I guess, I, I think I ran into, you know, Mark Leger, who was a sergeant with the CQ staff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I start feeling for a pulse and, you know, he's, uh, um, no vital signs can be found. And then I think I ran into another guy who, to this day, I'm not really sure how he made it out of there, but uh, Mass Corporal Hollister had some burns on. Had some what on? I had some burns on him, so I had him, yeah. you know, one of the, somebody close by who was standing, I had somebody just kind of walk him out of the area, but I just kind of did a quick survey, um, feeling for any blood and talked to him a bit and, you know, how are you? And had him, somebody kind of pull him aside and out of the area. And then um, I think uh, Vic went to a guy by the name of uh, Rene Paquette, who was on the ground and started to assess him. And then that's when I found um, uh, Ainsworth Dyer, who was on the ground and he had some pretty mortal injuries. He was you know, amputated at the below the knee and he had some head, pretty traumatic head wounds. Um, and then I could hear something behind me and, and realized I looked back with my headlight and Vic was working on her. No, Jean was working on Lauren Ford who had a big, big wound um, in the back of his knee that he was trying to apply pressure dressings to. And then, uh, you know, I, I kind of got up and took a quick look at what was happening over there. Uh, and I noticed that Lauren... Um, had some blood running down his face and looked up and looking at an injury in his eye and 
you would eventually lose his eye. And then uh, was basically just running back. You know, I, I had a few more. You know, obviously, as, you know, the senior guy on the ground, medical wise, they had you know triage shift. You know, who's dead, who's alive, yeah. and I periodically had people running up to me with different wounds that I would assess. Um, and then uh, I ran over, and Vic was starting an IV on Rene Paquette, who we would later find out that he had a pulmonary contusion and lost both of his uh, tympanic membranes. Oh, Jesus. Um, the ears kind of blown out. Um, and then, you know... Sorry, were you a master corporal at this time, or were you a corporal? I was a sergeant. Sergeant. So you had plenty yeah. of you'd had plenty of experience by this time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, then made my way back to where Sean was, and they were, um, you know, the, the 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 wound behind the knee was just bleeding out a lot, and I think we had like five or six pressure dressings and wasn't doing it, so we had to just go ahead and. You know those old you know tourniquets we had for you know starting ivs it's like okay put it on we got it and then you know it's dark but you know i'm between you know people running up to me and you know trying to give an assessment and you know i can i can hear choppers i can hear the you know somebody relaying to me what's on route uh and then you know it's time to start packaging we were at the time maybe you know, 14 kilometers away from CAF, uh, Kenhar Airfield. Um, so I knew, you know, somebody was going to come to me fairly quickly. Um, and then, you know, we started to package up. We had the stretchers out. We started to package up the guys that were going to have to get out of there. Obviously, Lauren Ford was the worst off and would have to go on last. Um we unfortunately moved him up closer onto where the range was and realized that you now we had to move him. So we had to actually take him back down the wadi and then up the other side um, where the helicopter landed. And then, and then I remember the helicopter uh, landing, um, you know, the flight medic and American guy getting off and, uh, you know, giving, giving him, you know, kind of a brief casualty review. And then Jean, who was with Lorne, got on the chopper too and went back and left Vic and I to kind of, you know, survey the scene. It was still live range at the time, so we ended up spending a few hours there. Jesus. But you received help from a uh, nearby unit, um, the medics from uh, from uh, JTF, did you not? What's that? You, you ended up, uh, some guys from uh, medics from JTF showed up to give you guys a hand, did they not? Uh, no, I seen uh, I seen some of them, but uh, I know who was around. I think Randy was there. Randy Murphy was in theater, right? Uh, and there was another guy. Uh, I can't remember first name. Mark. I ran to, into them over at the UMS, but they yeah they they weren't on the scene. I think the next day there was a guy who had come in that was attached with the um, uh, the armored guys, the coyotes or whatever the the labs that was there. Yeah. Um, he just showed up to take a couple of my wounded out of there. Uh, and then Vic and I just kind of hung around. Um, the Americans who, as I said a couple of weeks earlier, maybe it was only a week, um, they had a pathology team there, and they actually came out and did an assessment of the scene. Uh, 
Right. I mean, that night I remember the the company kind of spread out and were laying, uh, you know, glow sticks down where either they found a piece of flesh uh, or they found a piece of shrapnel. Um, and then a, a bulk of the company had left, and then there was probably, I don't know, maybe a dozen of us left out there to kind of guard the scene. Um, and then, you know, we covered the dead with um, blankets. Uh, the Padre came out um, a little while after that and kind of did his, you know, last rites. And then, you know, we had to end up turning the the turning the uh, crosses in uh, on the ambulance yeah. and um, put the bodies or parts of the bodies in. Uh, and then Vic and I drove uh, back to back to the airfield. And then once we got back to the airfield, I remember we, uh, I ran into my two docs, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Vordeo, uh, was our major and Roger King was captain, uh, at the time. And, uh, and just unfortunately <laughs> turned to me and said, well, uh, you know, we, we arrived at the morgue and, uh, and just somebody has to identify the bodies. So. You're up, so of course I had to reopen up all the all the body bags and see the remains of Jesus. And you uh, did you think at the time did you did you have a any sense of being overwhelmed at that time, or did you once again just sort of go through what you needed to do and carried on? Uh, you know, I didn't really feel overwhelmed at the time. I, well, yeah, I mean, overwhelmed. I mean, it's it's, it's chaos, it's controlled chaos for yeah. an hour. You know what I mean? We managed to get, you know, from the blast to the time Lauren Ford was in the OR it was 56 minutes. Uh, so once good. that initial hour was kind of, you know, played itself out and we were just kind of rehashing what had happened, and you, I think you just your adrenaline kind of... I remember having the longest sleep of my life after that when we finally got back to 10 lines. Well, once the adrenaline crashed out of your system. Oh, yeah. Um, what What did you... I'm, I'm sure, if I'm sort of looking at it from where I would be thinking. What What were your What were your thoughts afterwards on what you could have done better? What do you think you could have done better? Well, uh, you know, as I'm running down there, I'm thinking, shit, I'm in charge. So, you know, I have to really have to spend more time trying to triage, you know, who's dead, who's really dead, you know, or who who can be saved with, with what we have. Right. Um, obviously, you know, as you, you know, when we go through things like the TCCC and all that kind of stuff, you understand that regardless of, you know, what you're going to do, you're, you're going to lose some people. Yeah. Um, you know, we, of one of the casualties, we only found, you know, his pelvic bone, um, the guy that took the main head. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, because, you know, it was dark and people were running around, I wish we had utilized blankets soon enough and just covered up the dead because we kept getting called over to areas where we knew someone was dead and we couldn't really help those people. Yeah. You know, I just try and control the the people that were out there and get those people who, you know, as 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 you well know, there's people that you know in those kind of incidences are just going to freeze, yeah, you know, or, or freak out. So you you want to maintain that, um, 
you know, uh, I left my weapon, I left my flak vest, you know, at the time, I guess I didn't really think that much about it, you know. Yeah. In hindsight, I'm, I'm glad I was right with what had happened, not thinking that, you know, because the majority of the company thought we were going to get bombed again. Some people right. were diving under vehicles. I was running towards casualties. Um, well, it seems it seems to me, as I'm recalling, sorry to interrupt you on this one, but um, as I recall, the, the pilot thought he was receiving some sort of ground fire. So he dropped. Yeah. He apparently dropped the bomb and mm-hmm. didn't. Was he was he going to make another run at it? And he was warned off by his own uh, um, tack air to. Uh, I don't know if that was. I I I I I couldn't tell myself that was my perceived thought. I, you know, I remember sitting there watching. You know, because I did watch the. You know, everything kind of. You know, once the f- first couple of serials. You know, you know, obviously, you know, as a medic, you're sitting. You know, we've done enough you know, sitting on ranges, watching things happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I did watch the few first few serials kind of happen. And, you know, you see the, you see the bullets. Actually, there was a derelict old tank sitting down. You just see the, the, the tracers hitting the tank and just kind of deflecting upwards. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder, was that, was that the giveaway? Was that something, you know, but then again, when, when we first got into theater, they had these, these patches, these like square patches that they wanted us to put on IR our patches so that we would be identified as friendly. So I, you know, it's kind of bizarre to me. Um, well, there are IR patches. Yeah. So that they can be spotted. I, mean, I have been interviewed over time about that. There was a guy by the name of Mike Friscalant who caught up with me on my PA course while I was in Winnipeg. Yeah. Kind of broke that down too. And he wrote his book about the friendly fire as well. And try to you know figure out you know how did that happen? Sure. So yeah. so what what were your feelings on the outcome of that of the trial of this of the pilot? I don't recall his name. But uh, uh, you know, like <laughs> it's funny. I you know the next day I was sitting in the UMS. You know they had one of those mod mods that they had taken off the back of a truck, and I was sitting behind a computer writing down what exactly that happened. I actually have it on my desk here right now. You know, my, my, I knew there was going to be a board of inquiry. Yeah. I knew someone's going to start asking questions and I needed to get my story down or get my story straight. Um, you know, with, with what happened and, you know, more we learned of what had happened, you know, in the coming days after that. And, you know, you know, like I said, I mean, it's a, you know, we're the first ones in, you know, there's a lot of, you know, twitchy fingers, um, well, everybody, yeah. everybody wants to get their, their trigger time in. I mean, I can remember oh, for sure. all the yeah. boys going over, and I don't know about you as well, or I don't know how you felt about it, but the, uh, you know, the, the, the desire to, to see some action and, and, and see how you're going to respond in that, in that situation. Um, yeah. You know, everybody, especially, especially the young guys. Um, I shouldn't say especially young guys, because I certainly knew, and from your own experience as well, you know that... War is not. Um, it's not. Gla- I, I. I don't. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But it's not. It's not glamorous. It's not um, chivalry at its best. It's no. It's just hot, wet, stinking, yeah, misery, and a lot of people end up suffering for it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. No. Nobody. There's no winners here. No. You know. Um, you know. And I think you, me, and everybody just wants to, you know, get there and survive and and go home. You know, yeah. I don't. You know, after the fact, I I'm I feel fortunate that I I 
only went to <laughs> so I'd only want to go to one place, you know, one time. I, I think if I I don't know, I just have this sinking feeling if I ended up going back to Afghanistan I wouldn't come home. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, how how did that what was your what was your original um ideas of of uh of, of combat and you know did you ever have any doubt on how how you would perform in uh in the thick of things you know it's funny i i not i guess not really i mean yeah i guess we prepare ourselves right you know we've been through enough drills i don't know if it's muscle memory you know after you know i i, I got overseas you know like i said only had 10 days notice to move and and got into a uh, a rifle company where they didn't know me from Adam. Yeah. Um, except for a couple guys, a couple guys knew that I was in Somalia. Yeah. And I think once it got around that, you know, this has been my, you know, was my fourth deployment. You're a proven asset. Um, you know, but I remember that first op when we were going on to the, the, a place called the whale. And I just remember myself and Jean and Vic sitting around waiting you know, to where we're going to launch to go to Bagram and then from there to launch, you know, onto our mission. But I just had this, you know, I guess this sensation that they're watching us. They want to, they want to know that you know, <laughs> if they, something happens, are we going to be able to, you know, save them? Hold up your end. You know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an odd, eerie feeling, you know, once it's, you've, it's a, it's you know, a feeling once of you've launched onto your first, you know, mission with them, you know, I think you, you they get a sense of, you know, sense of accomplishment i think you know when when i was the second battalion you know and i just remember before i i went there and um there was a major uh at the field hospital who found out that i was you know the dco found out i was going to, to second to an infantry unit me being um somewhat of a b personality thinking yeah they're gonna eat you alive you know that's what he said to me they're gonna eat you alive and i'm like wow We'll see how that goes, you know. And then I think I remember my first exercise when, you know, we were going on a rucksack march with, uh, you know, uh, a third of the company uh, into an area in, um, we were in, I believe we were in Shiloh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then the the rest of the company was going to come in the next day and try to attack us from the position we're in. Well, you know, I managed to hump in like 23 kilometers that night to the location. And I remember previous to that, they didn't want to take a medic and I knew that I was fairly green to the infantry world. So I'm, uh, you know, on, on top of that. Um, but you know, I remember getting in and the guy saying to me, you know, does anybody want your feet worked on by the guy that just humped in here with you? Um, so, you know, little things, I guess like that, just kind of validate who you are and what you can do. Yeah. Cause it, it, they're they're guys who are deserving of of the best that you can give them because I mean they're they're doing a tough job out there and it is oh, a little yeah. it is a little unsettling going in the first time and I'm a fairly confident guy um, maybe too confident confident and maybe cocky at times but you know these guys are looking at you they're not they're not busting your balls like they they do the new guys the new infantiers that are coming in but they don't accept yeah. you until you've done that first uh, exercise or that first tasking with them and they see how you can perform. And if you can keep up with them and you can, you relate to them, um, yeah. they, they've got your back. You know, oh, for sure. Come higher hell water. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a good feeling. Yeah. You have to earn it. You know, it's not, um, it's not know, automatically given. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, you have to be good at your job, but you also have to show them that you can, 
you know, hump, hump with the best of them, you know, by, so those, you know, those, there's not, you know, you have to have, you know, it's funny. I remember back when I was um, on my QL3 course and, you know, Ken Hebbard, you know, he said, you know, as medics, you know, you have to think of you kind of like a claw where the inside's really soft, you know, cause they're going to be looking for them to, you know, help you out. But the back, the back has to be like a, you know, like a talent, like has to be steel. You know what I mean? Like a, yeah. you have to have, you have to have thick skin. <laughs> yes, you do. Cause they, they, yeah. they, you don't get a break. I mean, you don't. And, and because, because of the importance you hold within the platoon of the company, um, I think you get it extra hard just because, um, well, they, they like you, you know, you, oh, yeah. you've done the job and, uh, and they like you. And yeah. so that's, that sense of accomplishment is, uh, um, quite good. I, I can remember, um, new guys coming into the airborne regiment. Um, and I'd been a medic there for just a brief time, but I'd been on a couple of exercises that were, you know, strenuous if nothing else. And, uh, the new guys coming in and making some sort of flippant remark about the medic and, uh, and the guys that you had just, you know, humped with were all over this guy. You know, it's like, you don't talk to the fucking doc that way. And you don't talk to the cooks that way. Two people oh, you yeah. want to piss off are the cooks and the medics. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. back, back to, uh, back to Afghanistan again. Did you, did you get a mention in dispatches from that one? Did I what? Did you get a mention in dispatches from, uh, that, uh, that, uh, Tardak Farms? No, we had a, CDS commendation. Okay. Yeah. And was that quite a big deal? Well, you know, I, I thought, you know, I thought we deserved a bit more, but, you know, I don't know, you know, and I, I don't know. I, I wrestle with it back and forth, you know. You, we got, I remember we got back from Edmonton and, you know, we were, we are back to Edmonton. We were, you know, getting our, you know, we found out, you know, what we were going to get. And, you know, we, you know, you're reviewing, you know, who else got, you know, the same commendation, you know, like some guy that set up a parade. I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, that doesn't really, <laughs> I mean, you know, but, you know, I don't think the military really had their, you know, you know, things together as far as, you know, decorations and decorations and all that kind of stuff. I didn't, you well, know, I, the, I, it, it, it lives with me, but, you know, I think, well, well you know what I mean, it is what it is. I mean, At the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, I think the validation of what what you can do under under pressure. Yeah, I think the validation comes again from the boys that you're working with. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, you know what I mean. And you know, it's funny how you know down the road things come back to haunt you because, you know, um, you know, it, as it turned out, um, one of the when I got posted the ship. Uh, the EXO just so happened to be at the mess. The EXO who didn't know me from a hole in the ground just happened to be at the mess. Um, the officers mess the night before, and yeah. he ran into my OC from, you know, 3rd Battalion. I was out there that night, and um, I guess they got into a conversation about me. Um, so, you know, I'll kind of, you know, I guess I got a good idea who who, who I was after that. And, yeah. You know, kind of made my... Uh, made your name... Um, yeah, I guess I kind of made a name for myself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's well deserved. Um, like you said, you're you're one of the coolest customers under pressure that I that I've uh, oh. ever known. And well, thanks, Steve. Uh, people people speak well about you. When I said I was going to do the, uh, I was hoping to do an interview with you. <clears throat> Excuse mm. me, a second. <coughs> when I said I was going to do an interview with you, I mean the feedback was a hundred percent positive. Like guys oh. knew you, remembered you well. 
And uh, I think I think right there is um, more validation than most guys get in a job. Oh, well, thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, me and one other guy at least. No, I... <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I shit you not. Um, there were there were a lot of guys that, that I said I was doing this with, and they uh, wanted to hear it, because uh, you do mm. have a good name for yourself. For, for a quiet guy, I mean, you're completely unlike me, who is a little, little louder. You kind of sit back in the corner and uh, observe and... Uh, Wait for the shit to hit <laughs> instead of causing the fan. Yeah, yeah. the fan. And I, don't know, I think I've always had that bit of, you know, I'm going to sit back and watch and see how this plays out and, and you know, jump in when you need to jump in, you know. And I don't know. So I guess I, I, I realize I've never been that much of a chatty Kathy, shall we say. <laughs> well, again, uh, you, you've done the uh, sort of the human book or human library series, is it? Mm, oh, the uh, memory project. Yeah, memory project. I mean, uh, yeah. For those that haven't seen it, look up uh, uh, William. I think you go under William Wilson in that. Uh, mm -hmm. um, yeah. The, the um, what, what's it called? The human. Oh, the memory project. Yeah, the memory project. <laughs> I got to check yeah. my memory. Uh, check out uh, on on uh, YouTube. On uh, For YouTube, yeah, it's a record of service. Yeah, it's uh, it's again. You come across as. Um, you're talking about some pretty uh, horrific shit, and you're just like another day at the office kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you only get that um, not because you're overconfident, because you know what you're doing. You don't have to blow blow up the stories you're t you're telling anybody. You're just saying, matter of fact, what happened. And, yeah. You know, um, you're you're very professional in that way. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to sugarcoat it. I guess it's it is what it is, you know. And yeah. And and yeah, I, I think it. you're right. It's something more than a than a uh, mentioned in dispatches. Uh, um, mm. When when you hear the story and you read the story, is yeah. uh, definitely something that should have been considered. But the the fact that we were the only Commonwealth nation that didn't give out a Victoria Cross or their nation's yeah. highest honor. I mean, I read some of those dispatches where guys got for a star of courage and and whatnot, and uh, I go, how the fuck did that not be a VT? You know, exactly, and, I, and exactly. I think it's just pettiness at the top. I mean, I, yeah. I read that it was you know changes to the uh, um, to the awarding of the Victoria Cross. It makes it nearly impossible uh, to get, um, even posthumously. I mean, and most Victoria Crosses, I think, uh, only one in ten had survived. Um, yeah. So, to, to well, I think we are we are a modest we are a modest bunch as Canadians. So I don't know if it's just you know. We we uh, we're humble to the core sometimes. I think you know. I know. <laughs> well, I am far from but, humble. You're right, though. I think we we need to you know promote our people more. Yeah, and I mean they're they're looking and giving it to that young guy. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know he's RCR, I believe. Um, yeah, but it's 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 long overdue, and I think uh, I think there was some pettiness at the very top levels, and uh, well, maybe maybe I'm just bitter about it. I mean, I didn't do anything deserving of a VC or anything close like that, but I think. A lot of our guys did come very close to it, or or um, met the criteria and didn't get it for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, lesson that you taken out of uh, out of Afghanistan then. Lessons that I took out of Afghanistan. Yeah. So we got we got Somalia. Um, yeah. That you could do you could withstand any hardship. Um, Rwanda. What was Rwanda? Um, yeah, Rwanda was yeah definitely a tour where you know I felt you know 
like I had, you know, done my part for humanity. I think Afghanistan was really a a deployment of just kind of validation. You know, I, you know, launched over there within 10 days and, uh, you know, was a sergeant for an infantry company who didn't really know me, uh, you know, in the beginning, um, was able to, you know, hump, hump around and support a company for, for, for six months. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think I play well with others. So we had good, had a good, really good, um, good relationship with the yeah. rest of the UMS staff. And, um, and we had some great people in our UMS as well. And, uh, um, you know, when shit hit the fan, you know, I was able to respond, uh, and, and do what I, I needed to do. I think, you know, just for me, you know, it was a good confidence booster. I think it was a confidence booster in the two guys that I was with. Um, and uh, we, 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 we did a lot of what ifing, you know, during that whole deployment. Yeah. Um, you know, we would actually, you know, I don't know if anybody did it before or anybody does it now. I'm sure, you know, it's, maybe it's done in DCCC, but, you know, during that deployment, we would sit down, <clears throat> we would sit down with the infantry guys and say, what would you, you know, talk about first aid stuff, you know, what would you do? Yeah. You know, what would you do if you came across this? How would you respond? You know what I mean? We did, I mean, we did that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I, I think we opened up some eyes there saying, okay, well, you know, especially after that happened, he says, okay, we're going to launch on a few more missions here. We yeah. need to get our, you know, we need to get our shit together. I mean, luckily we, you know, it's funny, you know, the day before that whole happened, we were out at the airfield learning to do drills, including unload and uh, load and unload of uh, Blackhawk helicopters, you know, how to get out of the Chinook, out of, out of the Chinook helicopter with all that gear. So it's perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. Like, yeah. it couldn't have been planned. I mean, because those guys knew what to do when we said we needed to move the stretcher. Yeah. You know, I really didn't have a lot of, you know, they knew what to do. They, um, I think everybody just kind of, you know, went into, you know, gear, into the right gear uh, and knew how to respond. I don't really think I dealt with a lot of people who were just kind of, you know, flailing around or, or, or um, you know, stock still, not sure what to do. So we kind of got lucky there. Yeah, I think that, that tour, uh, for me anyways, uh, um, was just a big boost for my career, really. You yeah. know, um, and it's funny, you know, when you're a private, Steve, you know, when I was a private, I really had no idea where I was going. I thought, okay, I'm going to get to the rank of sergeant. <laughs> That's too much. We'll see where it goes. And then, you know, after the rank of sergeant, I was kind of, well, where do I go from here? Um, <laughs> Actually, you know, Bill, I, I was not that far, far ahead looking. <laughs> I was just trying to make it from day to day, year to year. I had no yeah. idea I was going to get to where I got. And I, and I, yeah. I didn't get there like you did through confidence. I think I got there just because somebody said, well, let's promote this guy and see what happens next. <laughs> we'll yeah. What he does. Um, yeah, no, I wasn't really in the old boys club either. I didn't, I didn't consider myself in the old boys club too yeah. either. So, you know, I, I, I think I'd like to think I, I made it on my own merit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and then got onto the PA course and uh, um, did well on that. And then, you were on the first uh, PA course, were you not? I was on the second one. Okay. Yeah. There were a lot of hard charges on that first one. No, I know. <laughs> I'm glad but I wasn't I was, on that and, first you know, one. <laughs> we had com- two completely different courses. My course was so laid back. We were just like, yeah, whatever. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's get let's it Let's just done. do this. Yeah. You know, let's get it over with. We got two years. Let's bang through it. Yeah. So... You know, we got her done, and uh, with uh, you know, we had great people on our course. 
and then found myself, you know, uh, either East Coast or West Coast. And it was first actually it was supposed to be East Coast, and then ended up um, going to Halifax, uh, which was good. And then got there, and then they asked, you know, went to the talks in the hospital, and you know, okay, what ships, you know, between myself and you know, Pete Jardine and, and Dominic Jeffois was just kind of trying to figure out which ships we're going to go to. Yeah. And uh, uh, I landed on the HMCS Toronto, which was in refit at the time, and then started workups and then went on a deployment. Yeah. Sailed around Africa? Sailed around Africa, yeah. And I think the interesting thing on that tour was uh, we were in the Red Sea, and there was an island uh, with a volcano, it was active and it was uh, erupting. And we got there at about one o'clock in the morning, and um, there was uh, a platoon of Yemeni soldiers apparently that were on this, on this island. And they, of course, had you know taken off all their clothes and jumped into the sea to try to get away. Um, we launched with our small boats around the island, uh, myself included, with the EXO and a couple of bosuns and. You know, other we were in a fleet, so some of the other ships had small boats, and we were about a hundred to two hundred yards off the off the coastline, and you could see like the lava was just, you know, and again like one o'clock local lava was just flowing into the into the sea, and uh, we didn't find any survivors. And then the next day, we were probably like maybe three kilometers off of the island and uh, the American ship, they do their man overboard uh, drill. And uh, 20 minutes later, we find a guy who had been treading water for over 20 hours. No shit. Yeah. You know, the Red Sea is the warmest body of water in the world. Which had, and with the volcano uh, going off, I'd imagine it was even warmer. Uh, yeah, we fished this guy out of the water and brought him on board. We did find two dead bodies. But yeah. I was like, oh my God. This guy did this guy have a life jacket on or anything? The one that was Crazy. treading water. Did he have a life jacket on? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he was naked. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Arthur him a lot of sharks in the water then? and uh, got him aboard. He drank some water. He ate a piece of fruit. We had an interpreter on the on the ship who spoke Arabic, and she she was trying to, you know. And we found out that he had been in the water. I think I don't know how many guys they fished out. We, I mean, like I said, the Americans they fished out one guy who was alive, and we found one guy that was alive, and then we found two dead bodies. And there was, I think there was probably about eight or nine more that uh, we either found or, or bodies. So definitely, uh, that was probably the big highlight of that of that tour. Yeah, that that's a highlight of of Buddy's life, and uh, oh, for sure, <laughs> certainly of a of a of a career. That's yeah, definitely one of those you're not going to forget stories. Oh, you're not. Yeah, I just finished reading this really remarkable book. It's called. Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why by Lawrence Gonzalez. And if anybody's looking for, you know, because I, I still to this day wonder, you know, how did that, because guys, what, 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 motivate, what motivated that guy to survive? And the same with Master Corporal Hollister on the friendly fire. And, like, I found him with these burn, burns to his face. And, you know, I was like, how did you survive this, you know? Yeah. Um, Always interesting. I'm always interested in, in that kind of stuff. You know, we don't we don't shuffle off this mortal coil easily. I mean, uh, we go out no. scrapping for the most part. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, um, 
the guy that uh, that you fish out of the water reminds me of another story. I think it was a U.S. Marine. Uh, he fell off oh, yeah. the back of an aircraft carrier, um, and it was missing for three or four days. And he, oh my God! He 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 treaded water. He was in the Gulf of uh, uh, the Gulf of um, oh shit! Um, oh, in the oh, he was in the Gulf. <laughs> okay. Um, why can't I remember the name of the Gulf in uh, near Saudi Arabia? Um, anyways, um, he they fell, found him. What's that? They, they, found, they him? found him after after treading water for like for three freaking days straight, and he just treaded wow. water. And some uh, local fishermen picked him up. Wow! And so, how he survived it, who knows? But again, yeah. um, that's crazy. I can't tread water without a shit. I'm sure I would go down with a big splash. Hopefully, the shark would get me first because uh, <laughs> just um, no way I could uh, tread tread water. Yeah, yeah, no, um, no, hard to comprehend. Yeah, but it's done all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so war. What is it good for, if anything? Nothing. Nothing. Well, you know. it might make advances in medicine. I mean, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, how many things did we learn? You know, uh, you know, the 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 there were obviously trauma surgeons lining up to, you know, go on that deployment. You know, civilian. Um, you know, and the stuff that they the takeaways that they you know dealing with traumatic, you know, uh, injuries. You know, blast wounds. Uh, yeah, how to deal. And we were doing stuff in Somalia too. I know that they were, you know, doing because we had taken on some Somalis uh, who were involved uh, in a in a firefight downtown, and we had three or four of them that we were medically managing. Um, you know, so I'm sure that there was a you know some a, a learning curve there for the surgeon that we had um, working on those kind of blast wounds as well. Well, I think I think you've got the you've got the wounded guy in front of you. You've tried everything conventionally that you possibly can think of, so you do mm-hmm. something that's right out in left field and find out it works. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Um, oh, for sure. That's so, so. I guess if you're going to say war, what is it good for? Um, with your best Bruce Springsteen voice. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it validates you know thing. all the training that we do. You know, you know all those mass casualty drills we yeah. do. You know, the, you know, and I worked on stuff with Charlie Mercer back in at the field hospital when we were training the people to go overseas to the, you know, the, to Bosnia at the time and, you know, doing the, making up the cereals for mass CAS and doing the, you know, the CAS sim and all that kind of stuff. You know, you, 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 you learn from those, yep. um, you know, but until you actually put it into practice, um, you know, sure. It, it, a part of it is probably muscle memory because you know, okay, well, you've done know, it so often. We've done some, you know, mass casualties, but when it's the real thing and it's here and you're you're not in fast time, you're in slow time. One one thing um, I remember about uh, doing the T triple C stuff and the the uh, earlier versions of uh, advanced first aid is yeah. I mean, we were we were the first ones to do it out in Edmonton and the first ones to kind of put the put put you know what our vision of the course should be and uh it was it it was it was interesting to see and had a lot of takers a lot of people interested in 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 getting involved yeah uh and then i i remember sitting on the writing board actually in gagetown you know i got called upon when i was in halifax to go and you know put the official help put the official stamp on the course um a few years later so um yeah, I mean, uh, it, it obviously morphed into something, you know, that I think is very helpful. You know, I just recently ran into 
a young infantry guy uh, who is visiting here in Windsor and talked about TCCC and how it's a very, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a highlight of careers and, or a, you know sought after um, course for guys to get on. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, to be able to you know help out their fellow fellow guy if they need to. You know what 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 I have. Uh ended up stressing because you take these courses and they say, okay, put on a tourniquet um, until the bleeding stops. And uh, what they never seem to mention is that it hurts to have a tourniquet on. <laughs> so, Oh God. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember telling guys afterwards, put it on. If it hurt, if it hurts, it's going to hurt. I mean, he may have have so much uh, blood loss that he's not going to notice the pain, but uh, most people yeah. are going to notice that pain. Don't let that scare you. Um, <laughs> that uh, that's gonna happen oh exactly i mean i just i can you know still hear lauren ford screaming um yeah. when we're put tensioning up that that tourniquet um so i, I yeah uh yeah i heard someone screaming yeah um, from a tourniquet <laughs> and and um if you if you don't if you don't hear that ahead of time it's gonna surprise you so yeah there's there's just so much about medicine that does surprise you yeah but again, it goes back to uh, that uh, will to survive. Have you ever been in a situation where you uh, were in extreme peril? You had to use that will of will to survive. You haven't been a rock uh, climber, get your elbow caught in a freaking rock crevice or something. No, I don't. Not not as of yet. Hopefully, I don't. But you know, <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, you like to hope. You know, you have a cool head, um, and you don't freak out, and you, you know, figure way, figure your way out of it. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, so you know, go ahead, positive thinking. Um, you know, look for some idea how to get out of the predicament you're in, and hopefully, you know. What's the uh, most frightened you've been? Most frightened. Oh, uh, most frightened. Hmm. <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but uh, <clears throat> I was on R&R, and we were on our way back to um, catch a, a flight back to um, Kenar Airfield, and we were in these cabs, and it just seemed like everyone was driving like over a hundred kilometers an hour. And these, we were like in this one highway where, where people were emerging and I was like, Holy shit, I'm going to die in Dubai. Um, cause he's not, these people drive like crazy. People. I, I know I drove there. I was like, Oh my God. Uh, you know, but beyond that, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe I, fortunately, nothing comes to mind right now. I mean, obviously that night, the friendly fire, you know, but I didn't really feel afraid at the time. I just kind of, you know, I think you didn't have time to be afraid. Went into, I went into a different mode and yeah. things just seemed there was, you know, and what would seem like an advanced clarity, you know, like shit, I know what I got to do here. I, I hope, I hope I can, you know, put it together and, and, and get it right. Yeah. And, you know, and you obviously have. You've had a spectacular career. Um, you probably didn't get the the mention that you should have in the in the past, but uh, um, certainly from what I know of you, you've done a bang up job, and I'm certainly proud of uh, learned something from you. 
Oh yeah, I think you know uh, we learned from it, you know, and uh, you know I'm fortunate that I had great guys with me, and uh, you know we, we remain close to this day. You know we've been the best man uh, at each other's weddings. Yeah. Um, so you know that that relationship will stay with me till probably the day that I die. Yeah, uh, and and I think uh, for those of us that have been through stressful st- stressful situations. Um, where you had to had to lean on the other guy or, or or depend on the other guy to have your back or to um, you know put his finger on the on the knot or whatever um, or keep keep the bullets from getting too close whatever whatever it was uh, these are these are bonds that aren't aren't easily broken I mean it's almost a cliche to hear that you're friends for life but uh, some mm-hmm. of these guys who you've gone through extreme uh, circumstances with under under peril um, oh yeah. Are, are are guys you can always count on oh for sure you know there's guys that you know i you know it's funny i ran into uh, francois cameron you know who's with me in somalia um you know at a at a at a american pa conference in san diego yeah and um we sat and had lunch one day and it was just like it was yesterday you yeah. know what i mean you're, you're comfortable you know you know for six months he's up next to me um, you know, in Somalia, yeah. um, you know, you, you get to, you, know, you get to know people, Yeah. you know, you get kind of, I'm going to say under their skin, but you kind of get, you know, to know what makes them tick. And, uh, you know, it's those relationships along the way that I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of really. What else are you proud of? Fi- final words here. We'll, we'll get to wrapping it up here. Sure. What, what? What's it? What's the the thing that you would tell uh, somebody coming to join today? What would you tell them to expect, prepare for? Um, the, that's joining the military. Yeah. Would you recommend somebody joining the military? First of all, uh, it's funny. You know, I, when I first got in, I I for the first maybe ten or twelve years, I always thought you know the military's right for everybody. Everybody can find a job in the military, but I think when we were overproducing uh, for the Afghanistan mission, I met upon some people and thought, yeah, I don't know if you're meant to be in the military. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the military has a lot to op- offer. You know, my son uh, is currently, you know, serving, uh, you know, and he's, I'm, I'm proud of him. And, and, and what, what trade is he? My, what's that? What trade is he? He's a vehicle tech. Okay. I just got recently promoted to Master Corporal. Yeah. Um, so proud of him. My other son's a carpenter. He's in Kingston. Very proud of him and, and you know, the, the profession that he's chosen. Yeah. Um, anybody joining the military today, you know, I think, you know, uh, obviously take it with a grain of salt. Um, you know, there's, you know, find find your way, find your profession. You know, if you want to see the world, there's there's opportunities. You, you want to learn. Uh, you can get a great career out of it. Um, you know, for some people that just want to use it as a stepping stone for something else Like, you know, I'm lucky I found my way, but you know, if you get in and you, you do something for three or four years and decide, you know, there's something, you know, better or something more that you, sh- you need to pursue, uh, outside of the military, Hey, you know, use it as a, you know, a springboard into something else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the military teaches a lot about discipline, a lot about loyalty, a lot about, you know, doing the right thing, a lot about integrity. 
you know, as you know from, you know, from Petalaw, you know, the, the RCR motto of, you know, never pass a fault. Um, you know, there's a lot of good things to be learned from, you know, spending time in the military. And also uh, how to successfully choose your career by uh, using your favorite color. By what? Sorry? By using your favorite color. There you go. I want to wear blue and I want to help people. It's, it, it worked out. <laughs> that it did, Will, Bill. That it did, man. There you go. Um, so that's a, that's a pleasure. You got any final final words you want to sum up with? Anything else? Uh, no. Um, you know, thanks for, you know, giving me the opportunity to tell my story. Um, it's been great to, you know, um, um, talk to you again. You know, I know we had a little bit of, uh, I think we were in a debt at one point um, back in, uh, I specifically remember an exercise that was you, me, Ray Tibbetts, Mary Bonter, uh, and there's a couple other people. I, I seem think. to recall that. Oh, too, yeah. Dooley. Dooley. Remember Dooley? You yes. wanted us to go and steal <laughs> gas. You wanted us to steal gas because you didn't want good coal. <laughs> And I remember, yeah, I remember going up and down yeah. the line with you looking yeah. at gas. You told us to go to Am Company and steal gas. Um, no. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. My wife absolutely uh, despised that, man. Yeah. No, I just uh, want to thank you for the opportunity and, um, you know, hopefully uh, people in, in, enjoy this uh, episode. Yeah. Well, and, I, uh, I don't know what... Uh, I'll, I'll edit out a bunch of my uh, babble, but I'm sure uh, we can get a good solid hour out of that one. I meant to, to cut it off the half hour. I'm trying to break these things into half hour segments. But oh, okay. I, but I get yeah, wrapped I think up. We went a little overboard. <laughs> yeah, I get wrapped up in the uh, the talk and then listen in part and always forget to do that. All right, man. Sorry. So I'm going to stop recording now. Hang on. Don't hang All up. Right. And uh, f- thanks for uh, showing up on Rockus Bacchus. That was All right, uh, buddy. That was Bill Wilson. Will, um, uh, medic from uh, way back uh, with um, multiple tours and uh, a really interesting guy. If you want to want to uh, look him up on uh, YouTube, uh, do that and uh, be good to each other out there. Cheers.